If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in Mark, and we'll finish chapter 11 and go into chapter 12 today. I'm hoping that we go kind of far, but knowing me and how much I like to talk, oh no. But we have till two or three. There's no Seahawks game today. <laughs> ah. I call this House of Cards because what we get to see today is something really remarkable and something that I struggle over our body getting it. So I may frustrate you today because what Jesus is doing today is utterly remarkable and hard to understand in our context. So I think if you were with me, you'd know, you know, I was reading one um, life coach and author last week and he said, you know, our main need is not sex or food or shelter. Our main need is control. We got to have some control. And we seek after it. And, and I started thinking about that and thinking, yeah, that there's truth in that, right? We, we long for some sense of being in control. We're, we're scared because other people have exercised control over us, sometimes in abusive ways. And another word for control is power. Another word for control is authority. We have these structures, right? Uh, think about it in, in your life. If you're a kid, your parents. Man, exercising control over you. If if you're a worker, it's your boss. They're telling you to do stuff, and you kind of like, I, I, I don't know that I like it. Even worse is the government. They're telling you to do stuff. And we're a little bit like, I, I, ugh. And yet we're imposed control, right? And and, and, and these things, and, and abuses come in, but even without the abuses, just the fact of how we think about control then are, is those organisms, those ways, which is kind of a rule-based thing, right? They've got control over me, and, and so in comes the church, and it's just one more agent of control, of authority, you know, only this time we hold up the Bible. And so how we think of it a lot of times is the church is kind of like the government, except we've got better substrate. We've got better rules. And so for hundreds of years, I don't know how much history you know, the church and the state were the same. In Western civilization, the church was the state because they're the people to keep you in line and give you the rules and authority under which you're going to live. It's not the same in our culture, but but it is the same in how we think about church and why you're even here. For many people, they come to church for a shot of of sort of being a self-help coach, uh, being taught some about how life should go and the rules they should follow. And we call it, we don't call it life coaching, we call it discipleship. And people think discipleship is kind of like here. Here are the rules you should do to be a good Christian. That's, if I'm doing that, I'm exercising control on you to say this is what you need to do to stay advancing or something. Stay good. This is big stuff. And and primarily what I want you to see today is Jesus Christ comes and he calls this a house of cards. He tears it down. That's why I call the message house of cards. He doesn't use those words. I don't even think they had playing cards in that day. They have to be playing stones or something, right? But but what Jesus does is he comes into these authority structures, and primarily he tears them down. That's not to say we don't have authority in the church, we do. But I want you to see something deeper, that the authority of Jesus is the person of Jesus. Jesus is the authority. 
And Jesus' thing for you is he is the authority. Do you trust him? Now, you might say, well, Dax, now we're on trust again. There you go again with just talking about faith. No, no, no. This is deep control. I don't know if you've seen the YouTube video. Have you had the YouTube video where the guys, <laughs> I've never done this and I don't ever want to, so don't suggest it to me. But the, the team building thing where they put the guy in front and the people all stand here with their arms out and they're supposed to drop back and they're supposed to catch them. That's control, right? Is the guy going to like let control go, the fear of the future, and trust that they're going to catch him? I mentioned the YouTube video because the one I watched, the guy falls forward. <laughs> it's why I don't particularly like water slides. I'm a big guy, and I don't trust those things that go around in a circle and then fly out. I think I'm going to fall out. I don't like it. I'm a little afraid of them. It's why some people don't like you to drive. Yeah, you. Because that's giving control over to you. There's a trust and control are bound together, right? There's an underneath thing that's not about the rules. It's about the actual, do I trust you with whatever's going to happen? That's the authority Jesus says he has. And it's different. And so the message of the Bible is different. So even the rules we have in church are different. Because they're just coming out of this. Do you trust this king? And you know what? If you do, there's a smile on your lips. There's a joy in your heart because you can trust this amazing Jesus. And so I want you to have that. As Jesus comes in and he takes our house of cards that we build and he breaks it, it's okay. He's going to build you a house that cannot be broken. Okay, let's take a look. We're going to look first. Again, I don't know how far we'll get, but I hope we get first. The question comes up. We're talking about the life of Jesus presented to us in all the synoptic gospels. Jesus has come into Jerusalem. He's been to the temple. He's come back out. He's gone in and he's overturned the tables and he's come back out and seen the fig tree withered and all that stuff is happening. He's in his final little bit before he goes to the cross. And this question comes up right here in this critical time is whose authority are you working under Jesus? See what he says. Verse 27 of chapter 11. And they came again to Jerusalem. <laughs> there he goes. He's just kind of bopping back and forth. And where does he go again? He, he was walking in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Whoa, there's a big group. They came to him and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Who told you to do this? They asked him, right? Who said you could throw your weight around? He's been in there turning over tables, cleaning out that. Who told you you could do this? Whose authority, whose power, who gave you control? And remember, that this group, I mean, I, I think he mentions them that way. These are the biggies. The priests, the chief priests, the elders, those are the wise guys. The scribes, the lawyers. The people who know the scriptures. The keepers of the law, the ones who have the training and the teaching, and they're using the Bible as a, an obedience handbook for life. They're controlling people that Jesus says they put on heavy burdens. They're doing too much. But their thinking is we're using this manual to help control this people rightly from God. 
So, Jesus, <laughs> what, what are you doing? Why don't you come talk to us and explain what the problem is? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. (laughs) I love this. You've got to see the scene because here's Jesus, and he doesn't answer them. If you answer somebody, what's that? Oh, you have a good question. I'll submit to your authority. Jesus doesn't. He's making a specific point. He gives them a question back, right? Not even a hint of them having control. And the question's tough, and it exposes the problem with all of our authority structures. It does. Right? They're worried about what? They're worried about themselves because the people love John, right? They thought John was from heaven. They, he was popular. And and, he, and by the way, his message was one that just echoed right through with what the Bible has told people to do. Repent. Repent. Turn from your sin. Repent. Repent. And John's baptism. So the people were like, yeah, that, that, that sounds right along the lines of what we should hear. And so the people were there, right? And so, the, well, I know the people, and I'm, I'm worried the people will, will not like that. At the same time, do you remember what happened at John's baptism of Jesus? There's that scene, right? Remember? Where the heavens split open and the Spirit came down like a dove, and there was this voice that said, this is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. Talk about giving authority direct from God. So, so we, we can't say that was true because we'd have to accept that. And so they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he'll say, then why didn't you believe him? Because he testified of Jesus. But, but, but we say from man, then they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. And, and so they answered Jesus, we don't know. Jesus said to him, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. We don't know. And Jesus says, well, that's why I won't tell you, right? Not that Jesus doesn't know, but that they have no authority. They don't even know the truth. Okay, I want you to see two things. Make sure you see it. The first is this. Jesus has his own authority. It's not derived except from God the Father. It was given to him at his baptism by John from God the Father, but it's seen and reported. No one is over him. There's no appeal to religious people that he knows. Oh, look, I know Nicodemus. No. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the Creator. His authority is based on who he is, not on him proving it. It is a reality. Right? We receive his authority. We don't make him the authority. He's already there. This should influence our language about having to make Jesus king or Lord or whatever. You don't make him Lord. He is. You receive his authority or you don't. But if you're here today, I hope that's your heart. I receive that Jesus is the authority. So the second thing is, Jesus won't get into an argument with them, right? It's striking. I think the most striking thing about this and a couple passages we're going to see right here with this interaction going on, Jesus won't debate them. 
He won't play their game. It's like so important to play in the construct of the rules. And how does Jesus fit into the rules? And how will he supplement the system and make it a better system? No, Jesus is tearing it down. Not interested. He says, you don't have control. I do. Because Jesus has the authority. So calling him to account, <laughs> what, why are you doing this? It's kind of like, and you know how well this goes when your, your kid comes up and says, why, why are you making me clean my room? Classic dad line. Because I said so. Conveys the authority. Doesn't convey any understanding or kindness. But, but there, but there it is. And the, I, the reality is when you start being questioned by your kids about why you've made these choices, if you're a really kind dad, and sometimes I am, yeah, my kids are sitting here, I guess I have to say, I will interact with them. But it's hard. Mostly I want to say, I'm the authority! You do what I say! And I'm the fallen authority. Jesus is perfect. And it never goes well. I mean, think of Job or think of different spots in the Bible where great saints said, why are you doing this, God? The answer was never that God gave them a detailed account of why things were happening. Never. In fact, to Job, he kind of said what? Can I say it? Abbreviate it? Shut up. Be quiet. I made everything. <laughs> that helps a lot, Lord. I was looking for reasons. Right? I don't have control. Jesus won't fit into our system. We want to take him and fit him into our reasoning and accept that yes, that's reasonable, so I'll do it. Like somehow there's a, there's a, um, a dialogue to be had where I and, and God have a talk about what's best and then we together walk on and tootle off into goodness. That's not true. Jesus is the authority. He's done. You don't fit into that system of salvation by good behavior, by faithful obedience, by sort of faithful goodness that these guys were after. Jesus is this hard pit, right? There's no salvation apart from him and just receiving his authority. I so want God to explain himself, and we want him to be controllable to our reason and our intellect and our justice and our explanation. What's another word for that? We want some control. We want it to fit. And and the reality is we have to die. Jesus won't let you be in control. He is. What we are, according to the Bible, are natural enemies to God and his authority. Right? That's where Jesus goes. He goes into that picture right away. He goes into whose vineyard. It just flows right in to this parable that he taught in chapter 12. So let's look. And he began to speak to them in parables. If that and just connects it all. So in the flavor of I'm not going to answer you and, and your authority means nothing to me comes into who you are. He began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it and he dug a pit for the wine press and he dug a tower and he leased it to tenants and he went into another country. That's kind of fun. The man improved a property. He did some construction. He made it nice. And then he left. And leased it. <laughs> By the way, no commentator I read, and all the stuff I read in this, no commentator I read disagreed with the idea that God is the owner in this parable. Jesus tells a parable and he says, God is the owner. And then um, the, the Israel is the vineyard. 
immediately is uh, Isaiah 5, 7, for example, comes to mind. But in many places, you say, hear things like, oh, uh, the Lord of hosts is the vine uh, vineyard owner and, and, and Israel his, his vineyard. The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. So it's tempting to take this as a condemnation of the Jews. But what he's doing is actually hitting at their concept of authority. This is where it gets interesting. We'll keep going. So when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him, this servant, and then they beat him and they sent him away up to handed. Nope, won't get any. Again, he, the owner, sent them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And, 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 and so it was with many others. Some they beat, and some they killed. So this is God's vineyard, leased out to religious authorities. He's been gone a long time. He wanted the fruit of his vineyard, worship and testimony and faith. So, so he sent his servant, a messenger, and that messenger was beaten. And there's another one, beaten and shamefully treated, and another killed. And Jesus could be talking about the history, right, of the prophets. I don't know if you're a reader of the Old Testament, but read Jeremiah sometime. You realize most of what Jeremiah is writing, he's writing from the bottom of a well where they've thrown him. And so he's called the wailing prophet. Then God does something shocking. Because think about it. Think of the story that Jesus is telling. He always tries to hit something that's against your expectation. So think it through with me. If you were an owner, and you're an owner, and and you got tenants, and they, they first they wouldn't pay their rent, and then they started beating up the people that you sent there. And then they started killing him. What would you do? Well, I call the police, of course, because our police are awesome. But, 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 but in their thing, you would bring in the tanks. I'm going over there with an army. We'll go beat up these guys and get rid of them. I'm going to go and get, I can't believe what they're doing. This is totally unjust. Let's go kill them. But that's not what happens here. He still had one other, Jesus says, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him, this son, to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. What? Okay, I I, kind of get the owner trying one more time. I think that's totally foolish. You just get rid of these people. But he doesn't get rid of these people and sends his son. But what in the world would the tenants ever think? It makes no sense to think if we kill the son, we'll get it. The guy's still alive. There's no way that you kill the heir and then you inherit. Your thinking is so off. It's just crazy. The only thing I can think of that, that they're thinking that you kind of have here, maybe Jesus is referring to, is the absurdity of it, plus this thought that creeps in and had crept into them. The owner is so far away. And it'll be such a long time until he comes. We'll just be in control. We'll have authority over this land. So they took him, says, killed him, threw him out of the vineyard. Wow. There's no question, right? Jesus is speaking of his death, speaking of how they're going to kill him before they do. But right now I want you to consider that, that what's going on. 
Will you think with me about the parable? This is, again, Jesus speaking before he goes to the cross. This is our Savior speaking. What's the relationship of the tenants to the owner? What are they thinking? They're just the tenant, right? What do they want? They want to be the owner. They want to be. They would say they deserve to be, but they're not. The facts and reality don't line up for them. This is the natural state of man. Everything I have, everything you have, has been given to you. Isn't that right? If I have creativity, if I have excellence, if I have ability, if I have anything I have, and we can get into stuff, kids and spouse, whether you have them or not, if you have them, it's a gift from who? From God. You got to experience life today. What is that? You should be dead. You have sinned. And yet you live. What a gracious God we have. Everything we have is a gift. I can go right down the list, but mostly instead of living like that, how I live is, man, things aren't as good as they ought to be. Or maybe things will be better if I pull it together, if I could exercise more control, or if other people didn't abuse me or pull me down. Then my life would be better. At the end of this road that we go down about wanting my life to be different, about wanting my life to be improved, about wanting to get out and get at the end of that road is enmity towards God. I want to be the owner. I want God to do something different than God has done. I'm not saying you have to like it. There are many terrible, terrible things, and I'm not condoning sin. I'm not condoning evil. None of that. Neither does God. But I'll tell you what. I want control. And the tenant here can't do what he wants. He's supposed to tend by the owner's word, by the owner's rules, for the owner's profit. And 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 this is not just the bad apples who are the, the scribes. This is mankind. So that, and then think about the tenants and the messengers just for a minute. Because the messengers come in according to the parable, right? And and they say, you're not the owners. That's the message. I, hey, the, the owner has sent us to tell you that it needs some stuff from you. And it's a reminder to them that they're not in control. It shatters the illusion they're independent. This relationship, right, is amazing because the incredible thing is God doesn't just do it once. It says over and over, he sent these messengers to remind you. To call you. And for them, that's Jeremiah and Amos and Isaiah and Nathan and Elijah and Elisha and, and, and you name it, Hosea and Micah. You can keep going. But also, just just daily structures, right? Parents. Circumstances. Life reminds me that I'm not in control. Why do I know that? Because my life isn't what it would be if I was in control. And this is from Tim Keller, but Keller says it this way. He says, hey, if if life is saying that you can't control it, then the most logical explanation is you're not the owner. Somebody else's. The most logical explanation is that. 
That's the message. So the messengers are calling them back to dependence on God, the one who made them and led them and brought them out and gave them the land and fought for them. You're not the owner. God is. And then, and then finally, just think for a minute about the tenant's relationship to the son. Because that's the heart of it, right? There was hostility with every messenger, and finally, here comes the Son. And and, and this is the message of the Bible. And, and Jesus says it in John 15. He quotes Psalm 69. He, he says this. He says, they hated me without cause. That's a messianic psalm that, that looks forward to when they will give Jesus sour wine to drink. Paul in Romans 8 says the natural mind is enmity against God. Not, not that it has enmity, that we could fix it, but it is enmity. And, and, and I guess what I'm trying to make you see is when Jesus gives this parable, he's not saying shape up a little. He's not saying if, if only you would, you, would, um, you would turn to me and use my rules instead of their rules, that it would be okay. He's saying you want to kill me. Saying you want control, you long for control, you don't want to give it up. And, and, and again, it takes the Holy Spirit to see that sin is not just a violation of this or that rule or this or that regulation, but sin is a whole attitude of resentment against and toward the crown claims of Jesus Christ against your life, that it permeates us. It's not just get to work on hating sin, but it's an attitude of resentment that life has treated you poorly, that you're a victim, that you deserve more control, that you don't think you've escaped. You haven't. I haven't either. You and I, we are enemies of God without Christ. Great acts of religion, great acts of morality. I do them because it's a way to keep control and I can put them on other people too and I can judge and I can point and I can look and I can diagnose and what gives me a sense of control. It gives me a sense of authority if I can call out other people's lack. I cannot accept that I'm not the owner. As a Christian, I think we do start to see this. That the reaction of humanity to the Son is to kill him. To kind of say, maybe I can be in charge of my own life. Maybe with a little help from the Holy Spirit, I can actually pack it up and I can do well. No, Jesus says, what you guys did was say, kill me. Look what happens in reality. What will the owner, verse 9, of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but, but they feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parables against them. Very perceptive, these people. So they left him and went away. Okay, yeah, that was the religious leader's reaction, right? He's talking about us. He's calling us evil tenants. We need to kill this man, prophetically, exactly what he's saying they're going to do. We aren't that bad. We aren't the haters. We aren't the enemies. No, no, no. This is what God thinks of religion. 
In Luke's gospel, it's really interesting. Jesus looks directly at them and says, yeah, I'm talking to you. Your life hangs in the balance. So so what is this? And so we read it, right? But would you consider with me what Jesus is saying from Psalm 118? Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. So say, there's a gate I've got to go through, and I can be in the presence of the Lord. And I think it's by my control around the keeping of the commandments. And yet right there in the Psalms, what does it actually say? I thank you, Lord, that you have answered me and become my salvation. Something that's become my salvation. To enter into these doors is to be closely connected with, with this, right? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Prophetically looking forward, as Jesus claims it clearly over and over, we've seen Psalm 18 come up over and over, and he's saying, I am the stone rejected by the builders, but I'm now the chief cornerstone. I'm the one. I've got all the authority. This is the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. And then this, we sing this. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Why can I be glad? Because the chief cornerstone has come. That's it, right? His name is Jesus. What you do, believe about him. He's the crux, and he's looking right at you. Rejecting him is to continue to hold on to the system that got you here. You and your personal taking care of you, your personal staying right with God. You're fitting in, fitting God into your control structure of how you think institutions run, or even the church runs. Only Jesus, he's rejected. But he's the cornerstone. He is authority. He is control. He is power. And he has you. And that means he destroys your house of cards. I, I like I like this. And let me just, you're thinking, man, I, I, I kind of get what you're saying, Dax, but could you go? So look, look at how it plays out in Luke. This, this may help you. Because this is Luke's same account. He looked directly at them at the end, right? And says, says, what is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And then he says this, and it's not in Psalm 118. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So Jesus is the stone, and and I'm not like, oh, yes, 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 I'm building this really cool life. No, no, I, I fall on the stone and I get broken. My enmity against God gets broken by coming to this Jesus and seeing who he is. If you don't do that, you get crushed. That That's a big deal. You and your pride and your desire to be the owner, you're broken, and he becomes the cornerstone for you, and you build on him, he's your foundation, you'll never be put to shame, or, or you don't in any of that, and and, and you're destroyed. And so the scene ends with everybody knows that Jesus is speaking of the religious leaders directly in the temple, the big guys, the scholars, the ones in charge. And God who is the owner, God who is almighty, will use their desire to kill the son, to use it to kill the hostility, to use it to provide the only way. This is amazing, right? He's going to use their very desire to maintain control and their very anger that they don't accept his authority, to kill him, to to actually save every person who will ever be saved. Even their rebellion. Under control of who? 
God. We could keep going. We don't have time to keep going. We need to end here pretty soon. But, 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 but just, just think about how Jesus will not enter in and think about then as you want him to give you detailed instructions on how you to be a better you. The next little paragraph is going to be about them trying to trap him by saying, should we pay taxes? You know, cause, cause paying taxes to somebody who thinks they're a god, that's idolatry. And, but, but if you don't do that, you're in rebellion against the government. Jesus, what should we do? Tell me, tell me, tell me. You know what Jesus does? He slips the knot. He won't tell him. It's profound. I so want Jesus just to help me be a better me. Jesus, tell me, give me the four steps to do this. Give me the five things to do so that you'll be happy with me. And Jesus says, huh? I've got something for you. It's this. I am the authority. Trust me. And it's not trust me to give me the 12 rules so I can get there. It's trust me because as you fall, who's going to hold you? It's that trust. It's trust you because you're going down now the water slide and you're speeding. And and who made the water slide and who's going to make sure you're going to get out at the end? This road that you're on and you don't know where it starts and where it ends because it says in John 3, doesn't it, that the Holy Spirit blows you wherever he wants. And, and, And so you're getting blown around. But you know this. You have confidence in what? I have an authority. Who's his name? What does that authority mean? He's in control. And... He's got me. I trust him. I'll tell you what life is. Life is the scariest roller coaster you've ever seen. If you've got eyes to see it. But in the midst of it, we have peace because I know who's in control. And this is the control I want for you today. Not the control of go build a better you, but the control of trusting Jesus. And we talk a lot about trusting Jesus around here. Yeah, that's because we're giving up on our power structures. We're giving up on our things that say you can be right with God if you'll just do this stuff. And God will be happier with you if you just do this stuff. And and, and I'm happy anytime to sit down with you and talk about wisdom and how I've done it or what the Bible says you should do in certain situations. That's all great. But it all has to come out of this underlying stuff. Do you trust? I want Jesus to be my life coach. I want the church to develop into a life coach center. This is called discipleship, but I'm telling you it's not. It is really mostly about control. Getting control of your life and using the church, using the principles to try and Add to and keep your control of your... And Jesus comes to your house of cards today and takes it apart. And he says, no. You've got to trust. Have faith. I have you. I offer forgiveness, not self-perfection. Jesus Christ forgives sin. Personally, he has you. You're not in control. You don't have to grasp for it. You're forgiven. When you do, you're forgiven because that's part of what forgiveness is, right? He died for these people too who would open their eyes. He died for his brother James who rejected him and but after the cross was running the church in Jerusalem. He knew. I, I rejected him. I missed it. But there's forgiveness in Jesus. It's hard. And it'll be hard in every control structure we put up as human beings. It's hard in the church. It's hard for me. 
I have my own biases. I have my own perspectives. And they leech in and we impose control in the church. But you have to know this. The only real authority there is, is the person of Jesus. Receive him. Trust him. Let's pray.